as we hear from the living God and His Word, is Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 26. But I would like for you to listen first, as I have done more than once in this Galatians series. I'd like you to listen first to four passages from what we call the Old Testament. But what Paul and Jesus and first century Christians simply called the scriptures, the word of God, the Bible. I picked four. There's more we could read, but four, four is enough. And I start this way because if we don't have texts like this in the background, when we come to, say, verse 16 of Galatians 5, then we risk missing the whole point. So here goes. Listen to Leviticus chapter 18, verses 1 to 5. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt where you lived. And you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan, to which I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. You shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 13, verses 1 to 4. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder... And the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass. And if he says, let us go after other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul you shall walk after the Lord your God and fear Him and keep His commandments and obey His voice. And you shall serve Him and hold fast to Him. Listen to Psalm 86, verses 8 to 12. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name, for you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. 
I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. And then finally, listen to Ezekiel 5. Ezekiel 5, verses 5 to 8. This is the other side of the coin. Thus says the Lord God, this is Jerusalem. I have set her in the center of the nations with countries all around her, and she has rebelled against my rules by doing wickedness more than the nations and against my statutes more than the countries all around her, for they have rejected my rules and have not walked in my statutes. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you are more turbulent than the nations that are all around you and have not walked in my statutes or obeyed my rules and have not even acted according to the rules of the nations that are all around you. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I, even I, am against you. And I will execute judgments in your midst in the sight of the nations. Did you hear it in those four chosen passages? The Lord commanded it. You shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. Moses commanded it. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice and you shall serve him and hold fast to him. The psalmist prayed for it. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name, but the people of Israel on the whole didn't do it. This is Jerusalem, says the Lord. They have rejected my rules and have not walked in my statutes. But I say, our apostle declares at the start of our Galatians text this morning, but I say, walk by the Spirit. Walk, Galatians, by the Spirit. Could it be that Paul's point at this juncture of Galatians is this? I mean, how can you miss it? Having heard such texts from the Bible... Oh, Galatians, don't you see? You are the covenant people of God. Walk. Walk as the covenant people of God were always meant to walk. Walk after the Lord your God. Fear Him. Keep His commandments. Obey His voice. Serve Him. Hold fast to Him. And Galatians... 
and all Christians who read this letter for 20 centuries and beyond it, because here's how that happens. Walk by the Spirit. Because you have the Spirit, Galatians. Right? I mean, that's been front and center for months, hasn't it? As we've studied this letter, at least since chapter 3, verse 5, this has been the central theme. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Paul's confidence, if you've been here, you've heard this. Paul's confidence has been, Paul's confidence continues to be in the Spirit. And so here's the question behind everything in this passage and indeed behind much of Galatians. What's the Spirit for, dear friends? If I may put it that way, I'm not sure that's the right way to say it. What's the Spirit for in our lives? In the Galatians' lives? What is the Spirit there for? Why supply the Spirit if you're a God? Why do that? What's accomplished by supplying the Spirit? What's the Spirit doing in your life, Christian? Do you have an answer to that? I didn't for years as a Christian. Don't know how, but I didn't. What's the Spirit doing in your life? Well, He's saving you. He's saving you. Because there's a judgment day coming. Right? I mean, Paul's right there in verse 21 of the text that Megan read. I warn you, Paul says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things, such works of the flesh, that is what not walking by the Spirit looks like, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. There are two ways to live, according to this text, according to the whole Bible, either in covenant obedience to God, walking by the Spirit, or in apostasy according to the flesh. It's the Spirit or it's the flesh. It's the work of God to write His law in our hearts or it's the flesh. The fallen self, the sinful ego we talked about last week. It's one or the other that rules your life. Brothers and sisters, this text forces us to ask this question, which one is it? in your life, do not be deceived. Which one is it? Do you remember where we are at this point in Galatians? Chapter 5 began with freedom. Freedom. For freedom Christ has set us free. Verse 1 of chapter 5 began. And what kind of freedom is it that we have? We talked about that because it's rather unlike the world's definition, isn't it? We have the freedom to walk with God, to obey God, 
to run well, to run well. He says, you were running well in the way of God's commandments, Psalm 119. We looked at that three weeks ago. Indeed, two weeks ago, we looked at the fact that we have freedom, according to Paul, to fulfill the whole law, verse 14 says. That isn't Paul being hopelessly idealistic. That's Paul asserting the power of the Spirit in the lives of the Galatians. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You were called to freedom, brothers and sisters, he says. Or in other words, as I suggested two weeks ago, we live out what was always intended for the people of God, which is to say, as Galatians says, we live like Abraham. We live like Sarah. We live like all of Sarah's children. We live by faith, which is to say, watch this, we live by faith, we'll come back to this, which is to say, we walk by the Spirit. We walk by the Spirit. So, now, this sermon has one goal. Having established, at least a little bit, it's some kind of whole Bible perspective that we somehow so easily miss, we read texts like this. We need then to explain how it happens. How we walk by the Spirit. Now you'll be relieved at this juncture, I'm sure, to know that we're going to be two weeks in this text. Two weeks. This morning we're really only going to verse 18. Whew, you were wondering. We're just getting to verse 18 this morning, but I read the whole thing because I want you to take a moment and glance at the whole thing again because I want you to make this one basic observation. One basic observation. Where are the commands in this passage? <laughs> Where is Paul telling the Galatians, telling you to do something? You know, because it's all too easy to hear this passage read and then leave and start thinking like this, wow, I need to love more. And I need to be more joyful. And I need to have more peace. And I need to be more patient and be more kind and be gooder and be more faithful and be more gentle and be more self-controlled. I want you to see that none of those are commands that Paul gives the Galatians. Not one. Not one of them. He does not say to them, he does not say to us, be more loving. Be more joyful. Have more peace. Does he want that in our lives? Oh, he does. <laughs> he does more than anything. But that's not what he commands. Those are fruits. Right? Verse 22, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, self-control. That's just what they are, brothers and sisters. It's not even your fruit, Christian. Do you see that? <laughs> I don't mean that you're not involved here, but I'm saying ultimately it's not even your fruit. It's the Spirit's fruit. 
There's only one command in verses 16 to 24. It's, it's repeated after verse 24, but it's in verses 16 to 24. With that whole list, there's one command. It's right at the top. Walk by the Spirit, Paul says. That's the Christian life. Do you hear that? The imperative for all Christian living is this. Walk by the Spirit. Walk by means of, empowered by the Spirit. As one commentator rightly says, Paul's command speaks of a way of living in which all aspects of life are directed and transformed by the Spirit. So then here's the key question. How does that happen? The rest of the passage is just indicative description, right? I mean, let's move through it quickly, just up to verse 18, because it's marvelous. But, I mean, so far, all we've covered is 16a, right? So now start with the second half of verse 16. The second half of verse 16 is a promise, not a command. It's a promise. Walk by the Spirit, Paul says, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You will not. There are some translations very badly that translate this as and do not gratify. It's wrong. I will rarely say that. That is wrong. There are not two commands here. There's one. Followed by a promise. You will not. Now that's strong in English. It's even stronger in the Greek. Okay? Footnote for the Greek people in this room. Those of you quietly very humbly, looking at your Greek text so that none of us are impressed. It's ume plus the aorist subjunctive, Greek people. Ume plus the aorist subjunctive. You will absolutely not fulfill the desires of the flesh. There's no stronger way of saying that that I know of in New Testament Greek. Now watch this. Are those fleshly desires there still? Oh, yes, <laughs> as we'll see again in a moment. What's verse 16 saying? According to verse 16, will you then ultimately gratify them? Will you fulfill them? Will you perfect them? Will you bring them to their full end? No, you won't, Paul says. You quite simply will not do that if you're walking by the Spirit. Paul's confidence is in the Spirit, just as Paul's confidence has all along in Galatians been in the Spirit, hasn't it? So he carries on. For, he says in verse 17, now here's why verse 16 is true. Here's what Paul knows to be true. Verse 17, you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. Are those desires there? Yes. Will you fulfill them ultimately? No. Verse 17, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, thanks be to God. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Christian, the Bible says in this age, you do not lose your fleshly nature entirely. Right? 
Verse 24 will say of this text that you've crucified it if you belong to Jesus. That's true. But it's not 100% yet. It will be. It will be at the day of Christ Jesus, but it's not yet. We're not perfected in this life, but oh, we want to be, don't we? Do you? Don't we long for that? More than anything? It's what you want. See, the sinful ego and the Holy Spirit both inhabit the believer, but do not hear this to say that they're equal forces at work. Do you see that? They are not equal forces at work. That's not Paul's point. No, there's been a fundamental shift. They're opposed to each other, Paul says, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. I don't know when you read that, what you think he means. But if you think he means you want to sin, but you're not allowed to because you have the Spirit, you've got it directly backwards. What Paul's assuming about the Galatians is that what they really want is the will of God. The Galatians really want to do the will of God. Christian, as your pastor, that's my assumption. You really want to do the will of God if you're a believer. That's where your deepest motivation lies because as I read the Bible, your heart's been changed. You walk by the Spirit. You will not fulfill, gratify, bring to fullness the desires of the flesh. You will not. Will you sin again in this life? You will. You will. You will sometimes do the things you will sometimes not do the things you want to do. But oh, friends, don't squirm out of that. Ask yourself, do I want that? Is that my heart? Does sin break me when it shows up in my life? Do I long for the righteousness of God in my life? Do you? Because that's verse 5, isn't it? I mean, that's where we've come from. For through the Spirit, by faith, Paul says, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Do you? <laughs> what are you living for, Christian? Please hear me. Paul's point is not that we only seldom manage to do the will of God that we fail to attain usually to any measure of victory. No, not how I read the New Testament. In fact, I'd argue that as we walk by the Spirit, we often do the will of God. Our hearts really are fundamentally changed, but we don't always. Which means this, as I read it, is the same as Romans chapter 7, verse 19. Don't turn there, just listen. Paul exclaims there in Romans 7, as I interpret it, for what I do is not the good I want to do. You hear that? The good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Paul longs for the full freedom of Christ to be realized. He knows he's not there yet. 
But then we come to verse 18 of our text. You've got to read it in the flow of thought now. Yes, you will sometimes do the things you do not... Sorry, I said it backwards. You will sometimes not do the things that you want to do. Verse 17. But, verse 18... But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. What a promise, friends. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law, even when you sin. Even when you don't do what you really want to do. Why? How is it that you are not under the law? Now, by this point, we know the answer to that, don't we? Because that's the fundamental difference between you, if you have the Spirit, if you're led by the Spirit, the fundamental difference between you and the people of Israel in the Old Covenant on the whole, even up today, as today to today as we've seen, because they didn't have the Spirit which means their reality was that of chapter 3, verse 10. Remember this, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. Again in chapter 3, verse 23. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, Paul says, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. It's the curse of the law. It no longer applies to you, Christian. Not you, Galatians. You're led by the Spirit. The Spirit Himself takes the lead. You're led by the Spirit. Do you notice the verb? Takes the lead in the enablement of the believer to engage in conflict with the flesh. And what happens then? You fulfill the law. Thus, no longer are you under its curse. Brothers and sisters, that's the gospel. You're in covenant with God. You're not sinlessly perfect. I, I, I didn't say that. The law has ways of dealing with sin, doesn't it? The reality of the new covenant has dawned in your heart, Galatians. Now, walk by the Spirit. Do you see that there's one all-important question then to answer because the Spirit's the key to everything? So what I want to know by is this. How do we walk by the Spirit? Right? Isn't that the key? We'll look at the resultant lifestyles next week in part two of this passage to be continued. But for now, how do we experience this reality? This walking by the Spirit? I mean, time's gone, going, 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 gone. But there's one basic answer to that and then that could be applied in at least a few different ways. One basic answer to that question, and I've already said it, and I said I'd come back to it, so now I'm coming back to it and saying it again. To walk by the Spirit means to live by faith. It means to live by faith. Now, we could go several places in Galatians to see that. But quickly, just glance back up to chapter 5, just up at the beginning of chapter 5, verses 5 and 6. Notice this one spot. There's about six different places I could go. For through the Spirit, Paul says, by faith. Through the Spirit, by faith. 
we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Now, do you see that? It's by faith that we wait through the Spirit and faith works through love, Paul says. And then from our text today, what's the primary fruit of the Spirit? More on this next week, but what's first in the list? Love. You see, the way to walk by the Spirit is to have faith. And what's faith? Well, now you heard a whole sermon on that last week. A whole sermon. It's why the New Testament quotes Habakkuk 2 verse 4 over and over to make the point. It's the same point we saw when we looked at Abraham many, many weeks ago, isn't it? Do you remember what I said then? Remember what Marion said last week? I still stand by it. Faith is trusting God's promises for the future in response to God's provisions for the past. What are you waiting for? The hope of righteousness. You're trusting God's promises for the future in response to God's provision in the past. Remember that? That's Abraham. That's Habakkuk. That's the whole Bible. Because when you trust God's promises for the future, no matter what's going on, when you look to the past and see how God has provided so that becomes a foundation for you to trust God for the future, what happens in your life? What do you do, Christian? How do you live? What does faith look like when it goes public in your life? You know what faith looks like? Faith looks like obedience. Keeping the commandments of God. That's what Paul says matters. Remember that from last time? Fulfilling the law. Here's the awesome thing. That's what the Spirit does in you. That's what the Spirit does in you, brothers and sisters, right? I'm not saying you do this or that and then the Spirit will show up. I'm not saying you earn the presence of the Spirit in your life because you somehow proved you've got enough faith for the Spirit to show up and carry you forward. No! <laughs> Does He who supplies the Spirit to you? It's the other way around. The Spirit creates this kind of faith in your life. That's why walking by faith is to walk by the Spirit. So listen, this is about as practical as I get, okay? Some of you wish I'd be more practical. This is it. You want this really probably won't ever say anything more practical than this. You want to escape sin in your life? The way to escape sin's hold on your life is not to try to pull yourselves up by your own bootstraps, right? It doesn't happen because you conjure up more willpower, you pump up your positive thinking program or whatever. Christianity isn't the religious version of a self-help program, okay? So here's my application. You've been born anew because of Christ, Christian. You do one thing, for the rest of your life. 
course, you trust God. You have faith. You trust God's promises for the future in response to God's provisions in the past. How do you hold on to that? How can you maintain that for the rest of your life? Ready? Oh boy, sorry. I've got, it's quick though. They're really quick. There's only one page left. Very quickly, I have five thoughts and they're all really the same. But here we go. Number one, how do you do, I mean, how do you, do you see what I'm asking you? How do you do this? You've got to do this. Number one, engage the Bible. Engage the Bible. Read it, hear it, study it, be taught it. Why? Because the Bible's where you go to understand what God's promises for the future are and what his provisions for the past have been. Yes? Does that make sense? I mean, there's nowhere else to look, brothers and sisters. Because sometimes faith weakens, right? Yours does, mine does. Abraham's did. Here's what I know first. Here's what I know. Here's what I know firsthand. Nothing sustains faith like a serious study of the scriptures. Nothing. Nothing. I mean it. I mean, I'm speaking personally now. So my faith is weak. And there's sin rearing up in my life. What do I do? You know what I do? I'm not even kidding. You're going to think I've lost it. I'm a little afraid to tell you this. <laughs> but it's true. I diagram Greek sentences from Romans. I mean, really, I do, friends. Why? Why do I do that? Because it was doing that 20 years ago that changed my life. I'm not kidding. It was doing that 20 years ago that changed my life. I mean that literally. This is just Romans 15, verse 4. It's just Romans 15, verse 4. For whatever was written in former days, Paul says, was written for our instruction. Hear this, that by steadfastness and by the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Do you hear that? The encouragement of the scriptures. Romans 15, 4. We absolutely need that, brothers and sisters. You don't have to diagram Greek sentences. I know that's weird. But go to the Word of God. Go to the Word of God in whatever way you know how. Number one. Number two, then, recount the ways in which God has worked in your own life. Because the Bible gives you the history of God's redemption of his people, right? That's not the end of the story. The story carries on in your life. 
in our own lives as his people. So remember, remember how God has worked to save you, how God has met your needs since he showed up in your life. Remember that. Call that to mind. Thirdly, similar here but a little different, remember your spiritual heritage. Bring to mind the fact that you're part of God's people. I mean, isn't it amazing? That's just basically all Paul says to the Galatians, the whole book. You're God's people. You have the Spirit. I know you're, about, you're on the verge of denying the gospel. I'm not, I, you are God's people. You have the Spirit. You're part of the story that began in the garden, that ran through the history of Israel, that centers on the coming of Jesus, that moves out through the church and comes to your specific life, and it will continue until Jesus comes again. I mean, do you ever just dwell on the fact that you're part of the people of God in that? In that kind of a sweep. That's why we have communion every week. Isn't it? Because every week we're remembering we're part of this story. We're part of God's people. That's number three. Remember that. Number four, learn the testimonies others give of God's faithfulness. Because what happens when we see God's work in the lives of others? I mean, you think about your own life, but then hear from others. Well, you're more and more convinced he'll do the same thing for you. Listen to people's stories. Take time to talk. Listen. Ask questions. Be in community. Find out how God's worked in the lives of others. Join a small group. Finally then, number five. This is Keith Ganser being as practical as I know how. Pray. Pray. Because the result of learning about God in all of these ways that I've just talked about is most naturally that we go directly to Him in prayer, is it not? Because you have to know God himself. Because we depend entirely on God to enable us to grasp all of this. Only God makes himself known. And so we pray. Which is why we do that now, as we do every week, after hearing from his word. And Emily's going to come and lead us in prayer as you take a moment to reflect on what the Spirit of God is saying. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.